Welcome to the VU Church Podcast. We're excited to continue our collection of talks, Breathe When Anxiety Attacks. If you're struggling with anxious thoughts, you don't have to remain stuck or struggling. We believe there are practical and powerful steps we can take to combat our anxiety. If you felt like you're living on the defense of life, Pastor Rich's talk will encourage you today with some offensive keys. Today, he's sharing on the thought, when anxiety attacks, breaking down four words to lean on when we face anxiety. To discover more resources, visit vuchurch.com breathe. We want to encourage you. If you're breathing, you have a purpose. Let's lean into the message together. Well, today we are continuing a collection of talks that we started last week that I think is important. And this collection is simply entitled Breathe. And what we're doing starting last week is talking about some really serious things, some some really heavy things. In fact, if you missed last Sunday, I would encourage you to go back to YouTube, watch, listen to the message. I I, I preached one of the heaviest sermons I can remember preaching really in the last two years. And I, I simply titled the message last week, Don't Stop Breathing. And I talked about things like suicide. And this whole collection is talking about anxiety because I think the church of Jesus Christ needs to be the leading voice when it comes to things like depression, suicide, and anxiety. And uh, today, whether you're here at SOMI or watching online, in fact, we should also take a moment and just welcome all of our friends at the city. Can we make some noise for people in the city today that are joining us? Today, part two of our collection, I think is a really practical message I want to preach, but it's also got some wonderful biblical truths I think are going to help your life. I want to preach today from the subject, how to attack anxiety, how to attack anxiety. And I think it's important for us living in 2021 to inhale and to exhale and remember that anxiety is not a new thing. I think many times we kind of think that we're up against a battle or we're in a fight that humanity has never fought before. I mean, there's no doubt that the stats and the research that we have in front of us right now show us that we have another epidemic on our hands. But I wanna remind you that this idea of anxiety, extreme worry or panic, it's not necessarily new. In fact, uh, in the 1800s, Thomas Jefferson was writing a letter to, to John Adams. And I just wanted to pull an excerpt from the letter. I just wanted to read this to you today. This is what Thomas Jefferson writes to John Adams. He says, there are indeed gloomy and hypochondriac minds, inhabitants of diseased bodies, disgusted with the present and despairing of the future, always counting that the worst will happen because it may happen. To these, I say, how much pain have cost the evils which have never happened. I just pulled this excerpt because this is written in the 1800s. Uh, talking about anxiety and what the time or what the hour felt like from Thomas Jefferson's perspective. Now, what's interesting about Thomas Jefferson is as he writes this, uh, what we know today now in history is this is a guy who had a lot of things to be anxious about. If you know anything about his story, he was a great voice to uh, actually have uh, slavery be abolished. He wrote many different things that all people are created equal. He had a lot of big writing on it, but there was a conflict in his personal life because here's a man who is using his voice to speak for freedom, but he himself, as we know in history, he enslaved over 600 people 
Trust me, that kind of inner turmoil produces anxiety. This is not a new thing. This is an old thing that we have to, in this day and age, come around with God's truth, but also practical ways of how we actually fight back. I think many times when we teach about anxiety, a lot of it is defense. Today, I wanna give you a little bit of offense. You see, anxiety has a cousin. Its cousin is panic. And both anxiety and panic are birthed from this word called fear. Everyone say fear. fear. Now, many times when we talk about fear, like we think that fear is always this evil thing. But if you'll stop and pause, you will realize that fear is the oldest safety mechanism that you have in your life. <laughs> you are given fear because fear helps you stay safe. For instance, if you walk out of your house and you step out to a busy street, as soon as you step out and you look left or right and you see a massive semi-truck coming your way and you step back, how many know it was the fear of that truck hitting you that just protected you? And the way that God works is he makes it really, really simple for us to learn. He just gives us really three basic things that occur constantly. And the things are, number one is an environmental cue. And then number two, it's a behavior And then number three, there's a result. So in this little basic example that I gave you, the environmental cue is that you walk out and it's a busy street. So you sense that. And then when you, the behavior is you step out and you look left, you look right, and you see a big truck coming your way. And then all of a sudden, when you back away, the behavior is the result. Well, how many know you get across the street safely? And it was the fear that protected you. What's fascinating is that scientists and research has shown us that as humanity has grown and as we've come out of our primitive ways, because how many know there was a day that every day of your life, you were just trying to figure out what you had to kill to eat and how you were going to survive the night with lodging. Thank God today there's people watching this by way of internet. And I'm not saying you don't have problems, but a lot of our problems are what we call first world problems. Most of us aren't looking for an animal to kill in order to eat that night. We've grown and we've developed and we've matured. And as we've grown and as we've developed, so has our bodies. And and scientists talk about this thing called the prefrontal cortex. I just want to give you a little bit of background because this is important. The prefrontal cortex is a part of your brain that's developed that is really about creativity and planning. And what's really special about this part of the brain is that the prefrontal cortex, maybe I'll just say PFC to make it simple. The PFC is given to you because the PFC acts as a predictor. It helps you interpret data that you've experienced and then predict a future, predict how things are going to take place. This is why now when you get out of your house and all of a sudden you've had an experience with the car passing by, now you can begin to interpret, all right, they're gonna stop at the red light and then when the crosswalk says I can walk, I can safely walk across. I've I've had some experience with it. I can predict the future. Here's where anxiety comes in. Anxiety comes in when your prefrontal cortex no longer has enough information to predict the future. This is why during COVID-19, we saw so much anxiety rise all over the place. Because like I said it last week, whether your drug of poison is CNN or Fox News, both are serving you information and there's an unpredictable future. Therefore, we become more and more anxious. 
The reason why I say this is because how many of you know that as you go through life, there's gonna constantly be scenarios and events and circumstances where you will not have enough information. This is why science and medicine and research can't solve all of our problems. This is why we actually have to come to God in faith because faith begins where understanding ends. Therefore, we need God's help in order to overcome that which we do not have data for. Am I preaching to anybody today? This is why when we come to God, what does the scripture say? This is what Paul writes to young Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. This is beautiful. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I wanna preach to someone today on part two of this collection. You have not been given a sick mind. You have been given a sound mind. Sickness is not your destiny. Sickness is not your destination, but rather God says, I've given you power, I've given you strength, and I have given you a sound mind. You're gonna need God's word to get you through this scenario. This is one of the great reasons why we gather. This is why you're here on Halloween is because as you come into this place, hopefully God's word will supersede your situation. And I just want to remind some people that are here today in the room or at city or watching online that just because you are dealing with anxiety or depression, let me say it this way. Depression is not always a symptom of weakness. Sometimes depression is a sign of strength. What do you mean, Rich? Well, dude, read the Bible. Once again, this is not a new problem. This is an old problem. And all throughout the scripture, we see incredible men and women of God who dealt with anxiety and depression. Job, my goodness, this man, he cursed the day he was born and said that he wished he was a stillborn. That's what Job said. Abraham called himself dust of the earth. I mean, Jonah wanted to die when a worm ate his plant. I mean, Paul said he despaired even of life. How about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Jesus said his soul was exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Elijah, Elijah was the suicidal prophet. He actually asked God to kill him. David, like I love David, maybe my favorite guy in the Bible, but like this guy is borderline bipolar. I'm not not kidding. Like one minute he's dancing before the ark. Uh, The next minute he's writing, God, why have you forsaken me? This would be called high highs and low lows. Say, Rich, why are you telling me this? I'm telling you this because if these men and women could be victorious in this life, if God did it for them, come on, how much more? Come on, how much more can he do it for you? Somebody give God some praise today. Today, you're gonna fight back against anxiety. How to attack anxiety. Not just waiting for it to happen. I wanna create a plan of attack myself. I know there's gonna be situations and there's gonna be scenarios that I don't have enough information to predict the future. How will I overcome? I believe through practices, but I believe through God's very word. Look at what Proverbs chapter 12 says. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. This is a beautiful scripture. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. 
but a good word, someone say a good word, but a good word makes it glad. By the way, any person that you meet who says the Bible is irrelevant, the Bible is archaic, the Bible is primitive, you just say, actually, I've discovered that the Bible is more relevant than any piece of literature on the planet today. This is thousands of years old. And the writer is saying, yo, anxiety causes depression, but here comes the conjunction, but a good word. Someone say a good word. How many came into God's house today for a good word? Come on, how many turned on YouTube today for a good word? Well, I'm a true Pentecostal preacher, so I don't have a good word. I have four good words. Four good words and seven different closes. So get ready. This is a three-hour sermon. Four good words. Word number one is, word is, word number one is the word name. Everyone say name. Word number two is the word shift. Everyone say shift. Word number three is the word stop. Everyone say stop. stop. Word number four is the word add. Everyone say add. add. Now let's do it together. Ready? They're not ready for you people. <laughs> four good words to make your heart glad. Four good words for a plan of attack against anxiety. Lots of ways that we could go about it. We could preach entire collections, but with the time that I have today, I wanna to give you four good words to attack anxiety. Here's the first one. Number one is you have to name the trigger. Very, very important. Name the trigger. Do you know what a, what a trigger is? A trigger by definition is any stimulus, sight, smell, sound, that impacts our behavior. So just for a moment, do you know the triggers in your life? Do you know the things that all of a sudden create a reaction out of you that make you anxious, that puts you into a depression? I mean, for all of us, it could be any stimulus. I mean, sight, smell, sound, something that causes a feeling. Maybe it's a place that you go to. Maybe it's like an old song. <laughs> I have some old songs that are, that are good triggers. Hello. Put a little boys to men on at my house and hey. It's a good trigger. Okay. Some of y'all way too spiritual on this Halloween Sunday. Maybe it's, it's the time of year. Maybe it's Instagram. Isn't that amazing? Some of you, you're dealing with such anxiety and you keep going back to the place that's depleting you. you? Keep going on there like, oh my goodness, I think I'm gonna, oh man, like, oh, look at them. Wow, their life's perfect. Oh, my life sucks. Uh... <laughs> and it's not just the comparison game, is it? What a weird, tough time. Like, I think about so many people in our community that you've had a severe, awful breakup. And back in the day, right, like you have a bad breakup and you guys move on. It's like, you don't, right if you find work, you know, like you don't see this person again, but not today. Today, you spend three years with someone dating, think you're gonna marry them, and then somehow one of you betrays the other person, and then you say goodbye in the physical, but you're still following in the digital. And now you have to see them, that they're still happy without you. Oh my goodness, and you married that guy, and he has abs? Oh God. And you got with her, and she has a job? Like... <laughs> 
<laughs> We're hitting some chords, some triggers. <laughs> have, you, have you taken time to, to name the triggers in your life? This is so very, very important if you're gonna attack the anxiety in your life because so many of you, you don't even know what's causing it. As I've kind of gone on a journey and trying to grow and trying to mature and trying to get healthier uh, physically, mentally, but even emotionally, I've had to go through this and we could be here all day if I told you about all of my triggers, okay? Um, But one of my triggers, I'm just being honest, is that like one of my triggers is sloppy church, Say, what do you mean? Well, like, I've noticed this as I've, as I've gotten older, that I have an anxious reaction or even anger that comes out. It's very important that you understand that anger, when you get angry on the outside, well, you don't realize that that correlates with depression. Depression is an inward anger. So, so the two are cousins. So whenever you find yourself going off about something, it is in the same family when it comes to mental health because you're, un, you're unable to control your feelings. And one of the things I find myself going off about or getting really anxious about is just this thing called sloppy church. And we could go through a lot of different scenarios around sloppy church. It could be the way someone turns a report in, that it's just, it's not with a great letterhead. It's not sharp. It's not specific. It's not excellent. And I used to wonder like, why am I getting, I'm just, I guess I'm a freak. I guess I'm just crazy. I guess I'm just like, you know, a dictator. And I just have these unbelievable standards. But as I started to go on a journey, what I discovered is that it actually goes back down to when I was a little boy. That in 1998, I left Tacoma, Washington, where my grandfather had a very established church and there was lots of things that were organized and it was a big organization. And my family, we moved to North Miami and my dad took over a little inner city church. And would you believe as that little inner city church grew, we grew out of the building and my dad didn't have any resources to build a new building. So he did all he knew what to do was construct a tent on I-95. And now today it kind of sounds really, really cool. But when I was 16 years of age, inviting my friends from high school to come to my church, it was really embarrassing for me to bring them to church. And when we were singing, let it rain, let it rain, open the floodgates of heaven, let it rain, let it rain. And literally there was rain coming down. People are like, this is a, this is a signs and wonders church. I'm like, nah, bro, this is a church in the tent. And for years, I didn't understand why whenever I preached, I would just shout at people, how you doing church? Good afternoon. We're now gonna receive the offering. I didn't know why I had so much volume in my voice. And I realized it's because our church was literally on I-95 <laughs> and semi-trucks and ambulances were coming by and our local sound system could not overcompensate. You had to use your voice and use it to the best of your ability. You say, Rich, what's the point? The point is, is I didn't know at the time, but I was developing insecurities. I was embarrassed. I wasn't proud of my church. And now all the way at 37 years of age, when somebody on our team turns in a report that is sloppy, it takes me back to my 15-year-old self with my friends at church that were laughing at me because we were the church in the tent. See, Rich, what do you say? I'm saying, I have to call out the trigger. I have to recognize that the report is not actually causing me the anxiety, but rather it's hurt from the past. A lot of us in this room, you can't solve what you don't know. And you keep attacking all of the symptoms, but you're not getting down to the root of it. 
Now, this isn't just psychology. I believe we see in the Bible, Jesus do this time and time again. There's an amazing story. I'm gonna take it back to Gospel of Mark because we spent a lot of time in in Mark's Gospel. But Mark chapter five, there's this story of this man who's demon-possessed. This is very fitting on Halloween. (laughs) We love everybody. All right, um, (laughs) hallelujah day. And um, this man has a demon. He can't control himself. He is possessed. He throws himself on the ground time and time again. And when Jesus approaches the man, I won't read you the entire text. You can go back and look at it. But Mark chapter five, verse nine, what does Jesus say to the man? Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied. And when he got the demon's name, then he cast the demon out. It's actually a really peculiar story. The demon says, can you put us into the pigs over there? And Jesus casts the demon into the pigs and the pigs, they go and they run off a cliff and they die on the other side. I've always wanted to preach a message when pigs fly. (laughs) It's coming, it's coming. Um, But what did Jesus have to do? Jesus had to name the demon. What's amazing is when you cross-reference this with Mark chapter nine. Mark chapter nine, just four chapters later, some of you remember the story, there is another man who's possessed by a demon and they bring this man to the disciples and the disciples do everything that they can. They do Jericho marches, they blow a shofar, everything they can. That's not actually in the text, but I think it's funny. You don't, okay, all right. And um, they're doing everything that they can, but they can't get the demon to come out. And so they call Jesus and Jesus comes over. And when they get Jesus, what we discover, watch this, Mark chapter nine, verse 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. How come the disciples couldn't cast the demon out? Because the demon was deaf. The demon was mute. He couldn't speak nor hear. Therefore, he could never hear his name. What I want you to see is that you have to name it in order to change it. Come on, somebody. You have to name it in order to change it. Someone say, name your trigger. You have to actually understand what is the thing that's causing the anxiety? What's causing the depression? It's not simply your environment, but rather there's something that took place that you have to uproot so that you can find healing, that you can bring it into the light. You have to name it in order to change it. Come on, somebody, give God some praise. Talking about attacking anxiety. But the second good word, number one is name the trigger. The second good word is you have to shift the spotlight. Shift the spotlight. This is very, very important because what you will understand as you start to study humanity is that the way that you view yourself and the way that you think about yourself, the way you talk about yourself makes all the difference in the world. Humanity, 100% of the time, will behave according to who they believe that they are. In fact, I'm I'm working on a collection. I've been working on it for a very long time. I'm hoping I can bring it sometime in 2022. It's called Mindsets. Because what you think about yourself determines who you become in life. And what I've learned for so many people that are dealing with anxiety is that many times anxiety is birthed out of a place of shame. Kind of like me as a little boy. To you, it's like not that big of a deal. You're like, big deal, bro, get over it. Your church was in a tent. But to me, it was wrapped up in my identity. Because you thought my church was less than, I must be less than. Because my church is weak, I must be weak. I thought because my church had a hole in its roof, you could see all the holes in me. 
So a lot of us in this room, your self-talk, the way that you think about yourself, I've said this many times, you wouldn't talk about your worst enemy the way you talk about yourself. We do this to ourselves. We, we think negative thoughts. We, we talk negative ways. And so because I believe I'm less than, I behave like I'm less than. Because I believe I don't deserve it, I behave like I don't deserve it. Because I believe that I'm broken, I behave like I'm broken. This is once again why we need God's word. Because God's word supersedes our feelings. God's word speaks to us and declares, you are not your past, you are not your mistake, you're not even your future weakness, but rather you are my child. Come on, can somebody just get happy today that you're a child of God, that God transforms your identity, that he speaks right to you? There was a 2013 study done. And this study, it was a psychological study done, and it was called Too Fat to Fit Through the Door. And it was a study done to women who had anorexia and to a group who didn't. And what was amazing is that they created a doorway that was a little bit smaller than a regular doorway. And then they had different people go through it. And what they discovered is every girl who had anorexia, that when she got to the door, although she didn't need to, she turned to the side to fit through the doorway. Because in her mind, she believed she was too fat to fit through it. I wonder how many of us in this room today were turning our position in life because we believe for some reason that we don't fit through certain doorways even though you fit just fine. You fit just fine. Do you ever notice that when it comes to your weaknesses and your challenges and your issues, that somehow you feel like there's this spotlight on you and you feel like everybody can see that which you're not? In fact, psychology, they call this the spotlight effect. The spotlight effect is a belief that we in our minds, we overestimate. We make something bigger than what it is. We believe that more people are watching us than they actually are. And so a lot of us, we're walking through life with this social anxiety. You ever like, you ever, uh, this is a really smart crowd, so I doubt it, but you ever like come to work with the two wrong shoes on? All right, way too sophisticated. I know, I'll ask the 7 p.m. They're like, yeah, right now. All right, um. <laughs> But you've ever, you ever come to work and you had a belt loop missed or you had something on that you weren't, and the whole time you're like, everyone notices, everyone notices, everyone notices, everyone's looking at me. Oh my goodness, look at my hair. I've got a pimple, everyone sees. But I'm always reminded of what Eleanor Roosevelt said. What did Eleanor Roosevelt say? She said it this way. She said, as it comes up, you wouldn't worry so much about what others think of you if you realize how seldom they do. See, what psychologists will tell us about the spotlight effect is that it's not true. That people are not paying nearly as much attention to you as you think that they are. The spotlight is not on you. You might have weaknesses, but you're not weak. You might have made mistakes, but you are not a mistake. You might have failed, but come on, you are not a failure. You have to shift the spotlight. Dance with it. Work with it. Put it beside you, but stop putting it inside you. How you see yourself really, really matters. Many of us, we are falling victim to what we believe others see about us or what others think about us or our mistake or our failure, and it is causing an anxiety that is not needed. Shift the 
spotlight. Work with it. Yeah, my church had some holes in it, but I, I'm a whole person. <laughs> yeah, my church is broken, but I'm, I'm not broken. Shift the spotlight. And this is what we see Jesus do. This is beautiful. Um, we know the story of Peter. Peter's one of my favorite guys in the Bible, by the way. Many Halloweens, I dressed up as your boy, Peter. Because <laughs> when you got Pentecostal parents, you only get to be one of the 12 disciples, you know? <laughs> Peter was the best because you could carry a sword and an ear. Hello. Okay. <laughs> These are Bible jokes and uh, other services will not understand them. All right, praise God. Peter betrayed Jesus. How many times? Oh, we know the Bible. Three times Peter betrayed Jesus. And watch this. This is John chapter 18, verse 17. Watch this. John chapter 18, verse 17. The servant girl. It's amazing who Peter denied Jesus to, a a little girl. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Mistake failure, not living up to who he actually is, denying that he's afraid. And this fear is now causing an anxiety because he cannot predict how this future is gonna go. In fact, the only thing he can predict is if they just killed the one I'm following, they're probably gonna kill me. And the only way I can get out of it is by denying who I actually am. So he does this three times. Now the servants and the officers had made a, what's this? Come on, let's say it out. What is this? City, you better be responding. Manusha, get them. made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. So what we know from scripture is that the three times that Peter denied Jesus, he did so from a charcoal fire. Say, Rich, why are you pointing this out? I'm pointing this out because three chapters later, Jesus shows up in John chapter 21. He went to the cross. He, He beat death, hell, and the grave. This is the good news that we rally around. And he comes and he finds Peter. Peter hasn't necessarily um, just completely quit life. Judas, by the way, had the exact same mistake as Peter. And what happened to Judas? Judas, he isolated, which intensifies your pain. And what did he do? He died by suicide. Peter, although he betrayed Jesus, he still stayed in the community. He went back to his fishing boats with his brothers and with his friends. Isolation intensifies your pain. Community cures your pain. And Jesus comes and finds Peter three days later. And what does he do? This is so beautiful. John chapter 21. When they got out on the land, they saw a, what is it? A charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Peter comes in from fishing. Jesus has created a charcoal fire and now he's making them breakfast. And it's from this place that he asked Peter, not one time, not two times, but three different times, Peter, do you love me? You say, Rich, what's he doing? I believe he's creating a psychodrama that he's taking him back to the place of shame where the spotlight feels like it's on him. And he's now shifting the spotlight and he's putting him next to a new charcoal fire and he's giving him an opportunity for every time that you betrayed me and every time that you spoke against my name, I'm gonna give you that amount of times to confess and reconfirm your love in me. Because Peter, you betrayed me, but you are not a betrayer. And Peter, you failed me, but you are not a failure. And Peter, you made a mistake, but you are not a mistake. Shift the spotlight. Shift the spotlight. Shift the spotlight. What is your point of shame that today you need to rename it so you can reclaim it? You need to reframe it so you can reshape it. 
You might have done these things, but you are not these things. Number three, anyone getting any of this? Anything is helping anybody today? Helping anybody? Come on, cities is helping anybody. Number three, write this down. Stop is our third word. Stop catastrophizing. Stop catastrophizing. Do you know what catastrophizing is? This is a psychological term that a lot of us do. Have you done this before? It could be something in the present or it could be something even in the future. Maybe, you know, you are late to work and as you're in traffic, even though this is outside of your control because Miami has this thing called traffic sometimes and it's demonic and it definitely gets riled up during Halloween and um, these are all Halloween jokes. But anyways, um, and, and, and you're in traffic and you didn't cause it, but now you're in it. And so what happens? You start catastrophizing. Oh my goodness, this is it. This is it. This is it. I know it. I'm going to walk in. My boss is going to be there and he's going to look at me and say, you're done. And as he says, you're done, he's not just going to say, you're done. He's going to go back to that show, The Apprentice, and say, you're fired. And like, as this happens, like everyone in the, in the office is going to laugh at me and point and say, you are fired. And then with that, I have to do a walk of shame with my box and I'm gonna have to walk home to where my wife is gonna discover that I just got fired to which she's gonna say, you are a loser. You got fired, I'm out of here. And not only am I out of here, I'm taking the kids. And not only am I taking the kids, I met a new man and he drives a Harley Davidson and he has abs. Oh, it's just me. It's just me who's done this. It's just me. It's just me. What's taking place? It's called, we are catastrophizing. We are making more out of something than what it really is. It's a phenomenon. It's called a disaster dress rehearsal. And once again, why do we do it? We do it as a safety mechanism. Many of you, you create these disaster dress rehearsals with your relationships, with great moments of wonderful opportunities that God has actually aligned and formed and fashioned it for this moment. And it will take faith to cross over to the other side. But what you start doing is you start going through a disaster dress rehearsal, telling yourself all the ways that it won't happen, all the ways that it can't happen, and you magnify it and you bigify it and you amplify it. And all the while you are wasting your imagination. You're wasting your imagination because you're using your imagination to protect yourself. And what you're doing as you're trying to protect yourself is that you are creating this idea that if I already go through the disaster enough times in my mind, when it does happen, it won't hurt as bad. But it's a lie because what's happening is that you are ruining and robbing yourself of the present moment that you have right now to breathe and to receive this moment as a great gift from God. And the reason why you shouldn't catastrophize and the reason why you got to stop today is because Mark Twain said it best and so did Thomas Jefferson. Mark Twain said it this way. I have had a lot of worries in my life, most of which have never happened. Research shows us that 80% of the things that you are worried about will never ever happen to you. But you're behaving and you're acting like they are happening to you. And you're missing out on the gift that you have right now in front of you. We only get one imagination. How are you going to use it? Are you going to use it to glorify your problem or are you going to use it to glorify a good God who has plans for you? What's what's fascinating, I read it this past week, is that your prefrontal cortex, this is what helps you appreciate music, even if you're white like me. Um, Because it's your prefrontal cortex is why you dance, 
It's why you clap because it's your way to interpret where the beat is going, where the rhythm is going. It's helping you predict. It's how you, how you find the rhythm. And I just wonder today, are you predicting the life catastrophe or the melody? Because life has a beautiful melody and there is more to live for, more to live for. And there is a melody to your future. And God has good plans for you. Doesn't mean that he has plans that you won't have to go through pain or suffering. No, have you noticed that suffering only makes you appreciate life even more? This week, I have had a stomach flu. I promise you, it, there was a demon in my stomach. It was not, not of God. And this is my first day out of the house since Monday. But how many know, I don't know, there's something about today. There's something about today that feels different than last Sunday. And the only difference is, is that I spent five days in bed. And so now today, I got something to celebrate. Now today, I'm out of the bed. The suffering gives way to beauty, to gratitude, to life. I wonder, are you predicting the catastrophe or the melody? It's Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 6 now. And Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, by catastrophizing, can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them all. But seek first. Someone say, Seek first. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Come on, somebody. I don't know if the Bible's relevant. What? I like faith, but do we really need the Bible? What? These are the words of Jesus. Do not be anxious. Your heavenly Father knows everything that you need. Stop catastrophizing. Name, shift, stop. And lastly, here we go. Fourth word is the word add. Add a dot, dot, dot. I have discovered that a lot of anxiety has to do with the future. A lot of anxiety, especially in this room and watching online right now, comes down to this idea that where I am is not 
where I saw myself being? What do I do when my situation does not line up with my expectation? I'll tell you what you do. You add a dot, dot, dot. See, a lot of us, we think that our life has been punctuated with a period. And a lot of you think the sentence of your life has been cemented by a period. You think it's over. You're not believing for a brighter future. You're not believing God for more. You're not even asking God to show up in your situation. You have given in to the darkness. You have given in to the pain. You have given in to the hurt. You've given in to the hang up. There's no fight back inside of you. But every one of us as people of faith, we have to see past the sentence. We have to see beyond the period. I just learned this simple little idea. Add a dot, dot, dot. When I say a dot, 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 I'm talking about punctuation. The punctuation I'm talking about is what we call an ellipsis. An ellipsis wasn't always in our grammar. In fact, it was added in the 1500s. And shortly after that, Shakespeare started using it. And you've seen it before, right? The dot, 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 what is it? It's an unfinished sentence. And I wanna say, if you're breathing right now, you are an unfinished sentence. So what do I do? I gotta name my triggers. I gotta shift the spotlight. I have to stop catastrophizing. But then all throughout my life, I have to add a dot, dot, dot. I have to see past the sentence. There's this beautiful story in Mark chapter six. I didn't bring you the the text, but it's where Jesus, he gets done feeding 5,000 people. Then he puts his disciples in a boat and says, head on over to the other side. They're on the Sea of Galilee. They get out, the scripture says three to four miles, three to four miles is what Mark chapter six says, they have rode into a storm. Jesus is praying, you've heard me preach it many times. Jesus leaves his place of prayer, comes and walks out on the water and meets them in the middle of their storm. And in Mark chapter six and in Matthew 14, where it's cross-referenced, what you see about these disciples is they're about to give up. They are drained, like they they don't have any more in them. And it's when Jesus shows up in their life. Here's what's crazy, is that theologians have discovered from where they left to where they were going, they were gonna end up in Gennesaret. They know that the Sea of Galilee right there in that space, guess what? It is only four miles wide. And the text says they had rode three to four miles. Yet the disciples are on the brink of giving up when they're closest to the other side. And I want to encourage you today, if you are on the brink of giving up, I want you to attack anxiety because every time you're at the point of giving up, remind yourself to add a dot, dot, dot because the other side is just inches away. The other side is closer than you think. The other side is within your grasp. You are an unfinished sentence. You gotta see beyond the punctuation, see beyond the circumstance, see beyond the season, see beyond the hour. You say, well, Rich, how do I, how do I do that? It's one word. It's just one word you add to your vocabulary today. You ready for this? Here's the one word you add to your vocabulary. The one word is the word yet. 
I'm, I'm blessing myself today. Preach, Rich. Keep preaching, preacher. You just add the word yet. That's how you add the dot, dot, dot to your life. I'm not healed. I'm not healed. I haven't gotten married. I'm not sober. I haven't learned Spanish. The promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. I haven't seen a revival yet. The business hasn't taken off yet. The marriage hasn't been restored yet. The prodigal hasn't come home yet. But yet will I praise him and yet will I worship him. I'm fighting back. I'm fighting back. Come on. Hey. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with friends. It helps so much. For more content from Vu and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com.